Today's sermon passage is found in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chutza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Oh, I'm so excited to be here, and it's funny because like half of y'all are like, why are you so excited to be here? Uh, Because it's just a testament to what's happened over the last couple years. So I don't even know how long was I here, maybe three, well, yeah, like three and a half years ago, uh, I was one of, or maybe I guess the first church planting resident. Um, So a lot of this missions talk, like you're looking at the guinea pig of some of those things. Uh, talking about locally, you know, planting churches. Uh, my name is Marshall Gallagher. Uh, I've known Jamie for quite a while. Uh, I'm a pastor of Hope Community Church in West Nashville. And again, just like Nick said, uh, we're about a mile and away, a mile away from him, but a very kind of different area, um, different kind of mission locally. Uh, but I am grateful as well for Redeemer for supporting us in many, many ways. Um, And you know that feeling when you kind of like go home uh, to your parents' house after some period of time and uh, you always kind of like look around the house and look for stuff and you're like, oh yeah, wait, my brother took this from me or something like that. You look in the attic, you're like, you know what, I need this piece of furniture or something like that. I can kind of do that here a little bit, which is kind of fun. I'll come up and see Jamie, be like, oh, I've never read that book and he'll hand it to me and send me on my way with you know, a cup of coffee or something like that. But I, I do, I love this church. Uh, I, I know that y'all have great pastors and elders who love you as well. So if you're a visitor, 
you're crazy to go look for another church. I'll just say that. <laughs> I can't say it any more plainly, but let me pray for our time this morning, and then we'll, we'll look at the passage together. Uh, Lord, thank you for faithful churches um, like Redeemer. Uh, thank you for a people who are hungry to hear your word. Um, I pray that you would help us do that this morning, um, that you would help us receive from you, Holy Spirit, what it is that you want for us uh, individually, but, but also corporately as a group to, to really receive into our hearts and, and to see the fruit that that would bear. And so we ask this in, in your precious son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so if you've been in church for uh, any number of time, you've probably heard of this parable. If you haven't been in church, you may have heard of this parable. Uh, It's a pretty basic parable, and it's one of those ones that is told in a lot of the different gospels, and uh, we have the benefit of like having the uh, spark notes or cliff notes or I don't know what people use today, but basically like we get the answers to everything, and Jesus explains it. That's not the case with every parable, but here it's like, huh, I wonder what that means, and you just keep reading a few more verses. You're like, ah, that's what it means, Uh, and, and so... Someone like me, you don't necessarily need somebody with a seminary degree or a Bible commentary to go through and say, well, I wonder what he meant there by the rocky soil. Could that be? It's like, no, he says exactly what it could be. And so this parable is helpful uh, as a diagnostic. Maybe you're sitting there thinking of your own life as I often do. Okay, what soil am I? Where do I fit in here? Am I maybe the, the cares of the world or what? constantly seems to be tripping me up in my faith, or I seem like I, I can uh, take up something really quickly, or maybe that's a friend of yours or a spouse or a child, and, but then it goes away uh, rather fast. Um, maybe it's other things from the world that seem to take it away. And so I bet uh, you've kind of identified a little area in your life, even reading that passage, thinking it through, thinking, okay, this is an area that I can kind of put in some effort uh, toward building my faith. I I bet most of us have have already kind of done that or that thing that constantly kind of bugs you, that that sin that you you even hate, but you keep falling into, that's popped up in your heart. And and maybe you write it down, maybe you make a note in in your phone or whatever else, Um, but we have to be careful with this parable specifically to not fall into a kind of legalistic, moralistic trap. And and we're all very tempted to do that right now, is to read the parable and think, okay, I gotta be good soil. That's not the point of the parable. It's a great result in your life if you see good soil and good fruit, wonderful, which Jesus would say wonderful. That's not why this is in here. And so I want to look at, even think of the, the phrase, just be good soil. You take out soil from that, and it's just be good. I think that's one of Satan's best tools for us as Christians, if we could just be good then God would love us more. If we could just be good, then we would see fruit. If we could just be good, nice people, we would be exactly where Satan wants us, and it'd be very unlikely that we would 
be a part of any kind of mission that Jesus is saying, come on, we got work to do. It doesn't mean we can't participate in our faith. We can't put effort into getting closer to God. But that is not the point of this parable. And so we need to take a closer look at it. And especially thinking missions month and mission, it's far more about joining God with, or joining with God in what he is doing rather than us just trying to do things on our own strength. So uh, the, the title of, of this message, which I kept like forgetting over and over and over again, um, and I've, I'm forgetting right now, but engaging, <laughs> engaging the cities, towns, and suburbs, um, because there's a lot of different places that Jesus is engaging in this passage, and that just happens to me. Um, but uh, for my note-taking friends, did Jamie still say that each week? No, no, okay, I stole it from him. For my note-taking friends, the main point this morning that uh, you can jot down, and we'll kind of split it in half, but it's that Jesus transforms us where we are that we might sow where we are. Jesus transforms us where we are that we might sow where we are. And so for looking at that kind of first half point, Jesus transforms us where we are. Uh, just look at the first few verses of this chapter, uh, beginning of chapter 8. Um, first, look at the kind of the diversity of transformation that Jesus is, is engaged with, taking part in, that he is creating. Uh, look at the places. So e- even the cities in that first verse, he went on through, and he went on from Capernaum. So he went on from a Pharisee's house, so that's a pretty big difference. Um, Pharisee's house, a large city where Peter was from. And then it says he went through the cities, villages. Uh, a little later in verse 4, it talks about people from town to town coming to him. And so even just the places Jesus was going was incredibly broad. He didn't only go to Jerusalem, the religious kind of center of the people he was coming to. Like, he went to the nowheres, right? He went to the places that, like, some of y'all are probably from, and I grew up in Nashville where I'm like, man, Brentwood is as far as I go. So Hendersonville, like, I got used to being up here, and it's just outside of Hendersonville for me, right? And in in Nashville, it's probably like, I don't want to go into Nashville. Well, neither do I a lot of times, like downtown Nashville. But... uh, Jesus was willing to go to all the different places to see all of the different people. So just a diversity and willingness to go everywhere for the people he was coming to transform. And then look at the people. So so there are three easily identifiable groups. It says, uh, verse like right before verse 2, it says, and the 12 were with them. And so you think 12 disciples, and just to highlight one, like think of Levi, right? Matthew, he, he was a tax collector. He had all the fishermen and all these different trades and things like that. And then you had Levi, who would have been the most reviled person in society. Like a, a tax collector was a, a traitor to his own people, so he would have been Jewish, but would have been working for the Roman government and collecting taxes. He says, hey, you need to collect this amount, and then Whatever you get left over is, is yours. And so they were objectively terrible people. A traitor to their own people, taking advantage. I mean, these were like, 
It was like if somebody from your hometown decided to open up a payday loan place and take advantage of everybody in your hometown. And everybody grew up with him. And he was as rich as could be, had the house on the house, everything. That was Levi, and Jesus said, leave this and come follow me. That's pretty extreme. And, and then it, it goes over this wonderful group of women. It, it says, there was Mary called Magdalene. It says, from whom seven demons had gone out. And so, and so you, you think about that. Think about how tormented and dark her past must have been, just personally. And then socially, if something like that was going on with you, you were at least religiously ostracized because people thought it must be some kind of sin in your life or or maybe your parents. You can think of all these different interactions that Jesus has throughout the gospels with people with demons. Um, And and so likely she was familially ostracized, like her relationships. Just think of this woman who was so beaten down by spiritual oppression. And so you have this tax collector, you have Mary Magdalene, and then it mentions this woman, Joanna. It says, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. So this was not like a butler. Herod's household manager would have been kind of like the financial, I'm running all of his stuff. And this is the king, kind of regionally the king. So this is like the Biggest company in the entire area, and it was the CFO's wife. And back then, it would have been she has, was at the table in all these very, very high-profile, high-politically kind of driven, very important. She was a woman of means. She would have always been recognized walking around. That's a huge, huge diversity of people that Jesus is out there transforming, and they were all following him. And then you have this group in verse four, the crowds, all these great crowds, and these were just people, town after town, coming to Jesus, coming to Jesus, coming to Jesus. They didn't know who he was necessarily. They just heard things, heard that he might heal, heard that if I could get close, and and we see the crowds as this character throughout all the gospels. It's just people coming to Jesus. And you start thinking of the types of people and the diversity of the transformation that Jesus is going out there to get. And maybe you're sitting here thinking like, I don't know that I could ever fit in with Jesus or or these church people. And that spectrum is broader than anywhere you could find yourself. Jesus is always willing to go out and transform lives, and that's what they were doing there. It's because they had had their lives transformed. You you see these results of the transformation. There's healing. They're, They're walking around proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom, and we'll kind of focus on that in just a moment been healed of infirmities, and and the people in the towns were coming to him because of what he could offer them, transformation. And then a little bit lower, after Jesus kind of gives the parable, the disciples come up and they're like, okay, explain that to us. And, And then verse 10, he says, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. And so that's another result. So yes, Jesus will transform. He has transformed all these people practically, spiritually, 
In Levi's case, changed his entire identity. In many of the cases, changed his identity. And then another kind of piece of this is that they have ears to hear. That's a big kind of concept in all of the Bible, but they know the secrets of the kingdom. And it's not like Da Vinci Code working out, not hieroglyphics kind of secrets. It's you know the true things that are hidden to the people who have not experienced the transformation of their heart. And so if we take a closer look at this parable, it's not merely for everyone to determine what soil are they and just be better soil. This is for the disciples. This is for the people who have been transformed. This is the people who are following Jesus so that they know what to expect when they follow him in mission. Jesus transforms us where we are, but he does not leave us where we are. And here's kind of the second piece of that. It's that we might sow where we are. I almost said Jesus transforms us where we are so that we might sow, and it just, were too many sows, so I cut one out. If y'all are like, that looks a little awkward, it's because it is. But you might be asking yourself like, okay, I don't, I don't feel like I'm on mission. Maybe, maybe you don't feel like you're following Jesus and proclaiming and bringing the, the good news, and it's something that's missing and I think the first question you have to ask is, have you been transformed by Jesus? Every one of us is an evangelist of something. My eight-year-old, who's here, and next service I'll like mention him and he'll get all embarrassed, but he's an evangelist. If you want to know anything about Fortnite, baseball, or Pokemon, he will, con- he will convert you or bug you to where you're like, I don't want anything to do with that, which that's personally where I am right now. But that's what it, 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 every one of us talks about what is impacting our lives at such a rate that we cannot be quiet about it. And so you, you might ask yourself, really, have I been transformed? Um, but so let's look at that, that you might sow where you are, that kind of second point. What is our mission? If, if this parable is more to describe that the disciples will encounter these four soils, and their job is to sow the seed, just like Jesus has with this group of characters, just like you see him doing over and over and over again, what does that look like to sow? What do you mean sow? And it's in that first verse, I think. I think it's the proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. That that is the mission. That is sowing. That's what they were doing. That's what they were trying to imitate and emulate Jesus in doing. And so the idea of um, kind of like what does it look like, those are two different words, proclaiming and bringing, um, one is, is literally like kind of preaching. It's words that's used with preaching. And the other one is one that is like proclaiming the gospel or preaching the gospel. And so they're very, very close. Uh, and, and I think what is being communicated here by Luke is that they were 
proclaiming the gospel in word and deed. And we see that kind of phrase, word and deed, all over the Bible. Uh, Zechariah 1.6, it says, but my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? Uh, so they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. It's kind of your talk and your walk. Uh, Acts 7.22, this is uh, probably Luke writing. He says, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom. This is back to Moses. And he was mighty in words and deeds. Romans 15.18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring to the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Paul wanting to see the Gentiles respond in word and deed. And then 1 John. So, I mean, even think of the different authors of all these different things, and there were many more. Uh, 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so it's talking about this consistency. It's bringing the gospel to bear, being transformed, but bringing that in your actions and how you approach people. And so you even think about what they're doing. Jesus is out there teaching. He's proclaiming that the king is here, the kingdom has arrived, but he's also going around healing and serving and sacrificing. And those two things are never divorced from one another. And so proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom doesn't just mean teaching the Ten Commandments or just going to a soup kitchen, or just helping your neighbor. It's you are bringing the essentials of the gospel to people, talking to them, speaking to them, and you're also serving and loving and dying for them. That is what they are doing. I think that is kind of intimately what we must do when we think of sowing the word. And we don't have to do it both at the same time, every time. Like, right, there's some practicality here. Uh, But maybe in your life, like, you're more apt to just serve and kind of be quiet, or you're kind of the herald and you're not very helpful. And, And where can we lean in to where we need to think through sowing that is both proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Even kind of like, hey, we gotta bring the noise. Everybody understands what I mean by that. That's what sowing is, um, coming from a transformed life. And so, you know, one of the biggest things that you might be thinking is like, okay, I got it. I'm supposed to be sowing the the word, um, teaching kind of, uh, first, primarily, like, what is the gospel? If, if Has it transformed me? I'm supposed to communicate that with people, that Jesus has come because there's something deeply fractured about humanity and God, and he has come to reconcile that, and he's done so by his blood and his death, stepping into our place, uh, becoming our substitute. And, and that beautiful kind of gospel diamond can be described so many different ways, um, but it's always that Jesus coming, Jesus dying, Jesus rising from the dead to give us life and bring us back to God. Um, You will spend, gloriously spend your entire life getting better at proclaiming that good news 
and also living a life that is serving and loving people. But it's like, what, okay, th- what, how does that look? Especially thinking about like where you are. So if, if Jesus is coming to us where we are, transforming us where we are, that we might sow where we are, what does it look like to engage in that where we are? And so it's really engaging where you are, and I have three kind of applicatory points here um, and kind of weaving in Jesus's approach as we walk through this. Um, At first, I thought, well, of course, you start with prayer, right? That's the good Christian thing to say. (laughs) Yeah, you always start with prayer, and I would stand by that statement, uh, but but the first point I want to say is know where you are. Uh, it's, I think it can be tempting, kind of the longer you're a Christian, to be like, you know, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. And they're very generic, like, okay, God, help me uh, be a missionary in my neighborhood. It's still super broad. Any of us could pray that. That's not a bad prayer. But if we're thinking about the specificity and the care. I mean, think about all the individual places and roads and people that Jesus went to, and we're the embodiment of that mission. I think knowing where we are will help us really laser fix our prayers. Um, and so think about where God has you planted right now. It's almost overwhelming for me to try to think all the different areas that all of us could be, but it's also kind of incredible to where we might all land. So specifically at our church, in our neighborhood, um, basically, if you had to describe the pocket, uh, it's called the Nations, um, and you probably would only know about it because of the restaurants there. That's a very typical thing, is like every, you know, popular place in Nashville puts their second location in my neighborhood. And, and there's some deeper kind of stuff going on there that it's very investing, like investment real estate oriented. And so the neighborhood has shifted, totally flipped over in the last five years, maybe eight, but it was like, I mean, and I still find, I got to remember there are lots of younger kids here, but I still find like paraphernalia in our parking lot, if that makes sense, (laughs) like of the previous neighborhood. Um, And it was only like, you know, less than a decade ago. And now it's kind of like if you don't like dogs, specifically like some kind of doodle, uh, if you don't like breweries, coffee, or pizza, uh, some of y'all are like, who doesn't like... But that's all my neighborhood is. Walking with your dog, trivia night at breweries and coffee shops. And then there's pizza places like three within like three blocks of one another. Um, And and that's it. And And so that's our context. I know that's a different context out here. But I mean, the largest store that we have in the nations is probably like a mini mart you got to drive like 15 minutes to the closest Target. And some of y'all are like, Lord, not there. <laughs> but, but, but even thinking about it, and so thinking about the people, uh, brand new houses, uh, young professionals, 
and they uh, are just starting to have kids. There are no elementary school kids in the neighborhood, though. And that's because when very successful new people in Nashville have elementary school kids, where do they take them? Either out here or to Williamson County. And so, I mean, my eight-year-old is the oldest kid at our church, and he's one of the oldest kids in the entire neighborhood. And the, the elementary schools that are just blocks away, there's, are, there's no resources or support because all of it is out to the suburbs. And so that's not like a, and that's wrong. It's part of our context. And so if we were to do a VBS, I'll, I mean, I send my kids here, <laughs> my kids in Williamson County for VBS. It doesn't make sense in our neighborhood, but it does here. Little League is far more popular out here than it is in my neighborhood. And so think about where you are, where the places that you have been put, like we don't have, it's not a suburb, we don't have housing communities, it's just streets and everybody parks on them. So think about where you are, think about where you are, your neighbor specifically, and know that God has intentionally placed you there. Just like God has intentionally placed me right in between the very specific people and neighbors where I have been. And, and it, I mean, it's taken about a year and a half or two with COVID in the middle of all that for us to start to see some of this fruit and people coming to us knowing that we are a little bit of a place of refuge. But they're not Christians, and that's who's moving into Nashville. But that's my context. So think about where God has you, and even jot down a list, the places that you regularly go to. That's not a mistake. And I would even challenge you all, go to the same places each week. Go to the same coffee shop each week. Go to the same, like if, if it's hopping to place, to place, to place, try to limit it as much as possible so that you can get to know where you are. And that second piece is praying for where you are. So now that you've kind of thought intentionally about you are all missionaries, you're all joining with God and the spirit of what he's doing, praying for three people in these places. And so if you wanna jot this down, jot it down. If you wanna try to remember it, and, and then forget by the time you eat lunch, that's okay, or gra grab your phone or something. But think of a neighbor, like a literal neighbor. Think of an acquaintance, and think of a stranger. So write down a neighbor and commit to pray for them. You think of an acquaintance. This is maybe somebody like, in my life, it'd be uh, the, the folks that are sitting next to me at these Little League games that we've been in over and over and over again. Someone who I, I know their name, I see them a lot, I bump into them, uh, but I don't pause and kind of have those long conversations with. They're not a friend, they're an acquaintance. Pray for opportunities that you could just ask one more question. How, like how easy is it to be like the elevator, like, hey, how are you doing? And then just go back to it. Or just think up a question. Just have a radar to think up an extra, one more question. 
It's not, okay, you gotta get them there, preach the gospel to them, and don't let them leave the little league stand. That may not be the place, right? Walking around at Publix or wherever else might not be the place. But you can ask one more small question. Pray for opportunities for those acquaintances there. And then a stranger. And so this might be that same, you know, I don't know what your morning routine is, but like if it's the same gas station and it's the same person you see every single time and they recognize you, but they're a stranger, pray for a little bit more of relationship. And just start there. Thinking about mission and engaging people with the transformative nature of Jesus in your life, start there and see what God does. That's not too hard, but it's got to be centered in prayer so that while you're sowing the seed, you can even recognize some of that good fruit. And we have to see and know that the soil is going to come out differently. So the The job of the Christian is not to find the good soil and drop as many seeds in that good soil as possible. It's to sow. And so verse 15 here, it talks about, and for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And so that patience word is one of the biggest pieces of this whole thing. If we are sowing, 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 and and we have been transformed by Jesus, like praise God for his grace that he has made us the good soil. He has created and kind of amended the soil in our hearts so that we would see fruit and receive God's word and receive the gospel, being patient to see the fruit, especially as we are joining with Jesus to sow, It takes time. And and, I mean, maybe you'll have one of those interactions. You're like, oh my goodness. And you talk about it on a Sunday because they'll be baptized up here. And that's wonderful. But what Jesus is telling us is we can expect us to sow and sow and sow. And just some of it is going to land on the good soil. But we don't know what soil that is yet. So us being patient is imperative. And it goes back to trusting that God is the one who is doing that growth. It's not us being good. It's not us telling others to be good, but it's trusting that God has, in his mercy, created all that good soil. And that's where we are reminded of the gospel. Like, we were all janky, rocky, thin soil that was no no good for fruit to be, like, to come and, and... What's that even past tense word? Bore? (laughs) To bear fruit, right? Like we were all bad soil. And then Jesus stepped into the place of, of hard heart, kind of closed ears, and and gave up his life through his blood, stepped away kind of from the city, was put out rather than than through his death, he gave us life. He, through his blood, produced a good soil in us where there was none. 
That's the fuel because you will meet people that you will have no idea where they have been, what kind of soil they are, but you can remind yourself that you have been transformed. You were the rocky, so you can identify where you are in here and you can still identify where you're struggling and you can say, but Jesus and what he has done for me has transformed that all. And now I can see fruit. And so how we walk with Jesus on mission is proclaiming and bringing that good news to people and then being patient to see how God is going to work. 